0: All right, welcome back to Know Your Enemy. I'm Jeffrey Benedict, filling in for Michael Beck. Uh, With me is Kevin Tate, who's been hanging out with us in a lot of different Beats Behind the Steel Curtain podcasts. Also has his own podcast called Know-It-Alls. And uh, it's a good show. They cover, you guys cover every single sport.
1: We do We Uh, try to, yeah.
0: Yeah. And with us for the second half of our show, our uh, enemy expert on the enemy this week, is uh, Bruce Nolan from Buffalo Rumblings. Bruce, how are you doing?
2: Folks, I'm fantastic. Thanks so much for having me, having me be a part of it.
0: Good. Thanks for being on here. So we we were just talking about the differences between the Steelers roster from last season's Buffalo game and what we, what we have coming into week one of 2021. So I'm going to turn that around and ask you, what are the biggest changes – to the Buffalo Bills roster from last season to this season?
2: I think it starts with the defensive line. I think that when you went into the 2020 season, there was a remake on the Buffalo Bills offensive line, brought in Mario Addison, brought in Quentin Jefferson, drafted AJ Epinesa, and you thought, okay, you're going to get a new look Buffalo Bills defensive line. And it didn't quite go the way they wanted it to. So they said, you know what, 2021, let's try it again. Let's just get a mulligan on this. So Quentin Jefferson's out, Vernon Butler restructures, they draft Gregory Rousseau, they draft Boogie Basham, and all of a sudden they start to get a little bit of juice going in the preseason. And the report's coming out of training camp, and they think, okay, maybe this time we finally got it right Because that's always been a big part of successful Sean McDermott defenses is being able to send wave after wave after wave of talented defensive linemen. It's not about a singular impact player. It's about waves and waves of multiple good players. And if you look at the success that he had when he was in Philadelphia, anytime he had success when he was in Carolina, it was always as a result of the front seven being strong and specifically being able to get pressure with for. The Buffalo Bills actually blitzed a fair amount of the time last year, not because that's who they are, not because that's who they want to be, because they needed to be. They did it out of necessity, not out of preference. And so the biggest change for the Buffalo Bills in 2021 versus 2020 is they think they may have gotten the defensive line right.
0: All right. Now, I was looking, one of the things I like to do is I like to look at the snap counts from the prior year and the depth chart. For this current year, and see like how how much how much you know people did were they able to retain, and how many new faces do they have? Looking at the bills on defense, fifteen of the top seventeen snap counts on defense returned, and you added two high draft picks to the defense. Like the defense, yeah, obviously you said the defense had a bit of a makeover last year. But this defense isn't just adding a few pieces. This is a defense that is growing and has some consistency. Uh, do you expect kind of a return to what the Buffalo Bills defense was, you know, the two years prior? Or, or do you think they will be somewhere in between last year and, and what they were the years before?
2: I think that – stylistically, the defense is probably going to look a little different, even when the Bills had a top five defense over the last couple of years before drifting off a little bit in 2020 to a kind of a middle-of-the-pack defense. It was really secondarily focused for the Bills. It was because you had... Micah Hyde, because you had Jordan Poyer, because you had Tradavius White, because you had some semblance of a warm body at CB2, who could the other three could sort of make up for. The Levi Wallace is now that guy right now. But historically, that's just been a rotating uh, rotating body in the Sean McDermott defense. And it was really about the secondary. It started with coverage, and the coverage assists the pass rush. So I think there's a reasonable chance that the Buffalo Bills defense bounced back, but mm. I don't think it's going to be because of the defense looking the same stylistically as the way it did before. I think if it's going to get back to prominence, if it's going to get back to being a top five defense, it's going to be because the pass rush helped the back end more so than the back end helped the pass rush.
0: All right. Looking at the offense, I did the same kind of snap count to depth chart. Look at the offense. The offense returns 14 out of 17 of their top snap counts to the depth chart this year including their top nine. The top nine guys for snaps in 2020 are back for the Bills offense in 2021. And that was a top offense in the league. Is there any significant changes on the Bills offense? Or is this, is this the Bills saying, you know, this is the thing that is right. Let's give these guys another year together. Let's, let's, you know, let's see if they can just do better just by knowing each other more.
2: The phrase run it back got used quite a bit. In the buffalo bills content community when it revolves around the buffalo bills offense the only major change was the departure of john brown and the insertion of emmanuel sanders and so there's a lot of discussion about whether or not that was an upgrade i personally am of the opinion that is a slight upgrade emmanuel sanders i think has enough juice left in the tank if you look at the quarterbacks who've been throwing him the ball over the last couple of years he had the ghastly corpse left over of drew Brees throwing him the ball last year in addition to taysom hill He had wonderful, wonderful quarterback play, and I mean that with my voice dripping of sarcasm over the last couple of years. But I think he absolutely has the ability to be a a reasonable number two receiver. But if you look at the remainder of the Bills' offense, it's basically the same. Cole Beasley's back. Stephon Diggs is back. The running backs are back. There was a lot of discussion about potentially a running back That you guys ended up selecting, which was Najee Harris amongst the Buffalo Bills content creation community. And whether or not Najee Harris or Javante Williams or Travis Etienne would have been a reasonable pick because the Bills were in the AFC championship game last year. When you get there, sometimes those people who have really strong opinions about what you should and should not do in the draft... All of a sudden, those opinions start loosening up a little bit and they say, Okay, we can do a luxury pick. Why not? Let's take Travis Etienne in the first round. I'm historically a really strong anti-running back in the first round sort of guy, but maybe this year's a little different. I was not one of those people. I was railing against taking a running back in the first round, but there's plenty of people who were willing to do that because the rest of the offense was intact. They re-signed Daryl Williams, brought him back. They resigned John Feliciano, brought him back. It's basically from a personnel standpoint. The exact same team, aside from Emmanuel Sanders taking John Brown's place.
0: One of the big, big names on uh, on the on the Bills offense, obviously Josh Allen, uh, but his receiver, Stefan Diggs. Now, I want to talk about them a bit because after Josh Allen's rookie season, I'm, I was watching some film on him after his rookie season, and it, it kept reminding me of early Ben Roethlisberger. Where he had the physical tools to evade pass rush, he would make off-script plays, but then you'd also see him just not make routine throws. Like you'd see him just miss ones that you're like, "Oh, come on, man! Like that's that's the throws we need. You need to be able to make those too." Uh, and then he's kind of followed that as that similar arc, where, where obviously Ben Roethlisberger had a ton of success. His rookie season, he had a great offensive line, a run game, great receivers on that team, and a great defense. He had all kinds of success. Josh Allen did not have all those players. But then we see Josh Allen get Stefan Diggs, and Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs took off. And I know Kevin Tate was saying earlier in our broadcast, they they remind both of us, at least, and a lot of Steeler fans of Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown. And that's only one year together. What do you expect from Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs in year two? And do you think they can be that kind of, you know, dominating the receiver, you know, stats chart, like, like AB did, do you think Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen can do that for a couple of years here?
2: It's really hard to project anything more than leading the NFL in targets, receptions and and yards. Like that's really difficult for me to say, yeah, no, I think they're going to take their game to the next level. (laughs) You're like, okay, what is the next level at that point? Right. Stefan Diggs was, you know, arguably the best receiver in football last year, depending on who you ask. Um, I think that the uh, Antonio Brown comp is reasonable because of the stature of the player, because their ability to separate in the short area, the quickness, the ability to have reliable hands, be able to shake man coverage and find spots in zone. And one of the things that I think was interesting is that Stefan Diggs was brought in as an answer to a question. And the answer to the question is that the the 2019 version of Josh Allen, the book on him was everybody play man and zero blitzing? That was the book on Josh Allen. And so the Bills went out and acquired not just a receiver, but a particular style of receiver who would counteract what was previously the book on Josh Allen. Well, guess what the book on Josh Allen is now? Which is, dude, don't play man. Whatever you do, do not play man. He had a a quarterback rating of 122 against man coverage last year. Don't do that. Play zone, right? And just... Hope you can keep your eyes on him and hope he makes a mistake with his eyes. And, you know, he had a a fairly average quarterback rating against zone last year. The book is completely changed. Part of that's Josh Allen. Part of that's Stefan Diggs. So when you have a player who is capable of not single-handedly, but contributing mightily toward the book on your quarterback being different, you have to start looking at him in the span of, okay, this guy changed an entire narrative. He was part of that. So I think that there's no reason to indicate that Allen and Diggs would not be effective this year. I don't know how you could look at this and say, okay, same offensive coordinator, same wide receiver, same quarterback. The fact that they were able to have chemistry as early as they were is staggering, considering if you look at your divisional rivals, the Cleveland Browns, Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield are still trying to get it right. They're going to year three. Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen, that whole chemistry thing that we always talk about being so important – for wide receivers and quarterbacks, it's like they had it from the word go. It's almost like love at first sight. It's soulmates. They were sitting across the diner, looking at each other. There were angels playing and harp music in the background. And we were suddenly in a 1990s romantic comedy. That is way, that's the way it rolled for Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen. So I have no indication that it would be any different moving forward.
1: Can I can I, can I comment on those two real quick? Absolutely. And it, it has no, has nothing to do with the game. I just want to say that I was I in in my fantasy football championship last year. I was down seventy points in the championship, and I had Diggs and Allen both my receiver and quarterback. That last game came back and got the win for the championship. Thank you guys.
0: <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, they are they're that kind of a pair. And you saying like the the book on Josh Allen being don't blitz him, just play man defense. The the book on Ben Roethlisberger. That how the how the New England Patriots beat him his rookie season and the book on him early on was, don't blitz him and play zone, like that was just all you did was zone everybody, drop everyone in coverage so that he can't just you know find guys when they finally beat man coverage while he scrambles around and beat your blitz. So i i love the i love the correlation. It also kind of terrifies me because the Steelers coming into this game are facing basically you know what we used to have the strength we used to have at quarterback and the kind of wide receiver group we used to have including Emmanuel Sanders as the number two wide receiver I mean he was the number two wide receiver there for Ben and A.B. for a bit and now he's the number two receiver for Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs he's been there before he knows what he's doing so it, it's it's crazy to me to be that I'm going to be watching this and be you know it's it's, it's kind of sad because it brings back great memories that those are gone, and we we managed to not win a Super Bowl and not really have the best playoff success with those guys. And that brings me to my next question. What are the Bills' expectations for this team this season?
2: I think a lot of people will tell you it's Super Bowl or bust. Um, I think that those people are wrong because I don't believe in Super Bowl or bust. Super Bowl or bust is a phrase that indicates that there is one positive outcome, and that all other n- outcomes that are not that are equally negative. It wasn't Super Bowl or varying degrees of disappointment. It's Super Bowl or bust, implying that anything that does not end in a Super Bowl victory is therefore a failure. I've never been a believer in that because there's so much luck involved in football that we really don't want to talk about. We spend all this time creating content, doing podcasts, getting on YouTube, evaluating the X's and O's, talking about football philosophy. And the fact of the matter is that a big part of football is the way the ball bounces. It's oblong for a reason. And the fact of the matter is that the best team in the NFL doesn't always win the Super Bowl. Sorry, that's just the way it works. We live in a non series sport. I think that the thing that's funny to me is that people can say the phrase any given Sunday and they can be completely cool with it. And then the same breath, they can say Super Bowl or bust. Those two things cannot simultaneously coexist. Any given Sunday is a phrase that recognizes the randomness and variability associated with football. Any given Sunday, man, anything can happen. It's the reason why we watch. It's the reason why this game is one of America's most favorite pastimes. It's the reason why more people watched an old white dude read names off of a card than an NBA Finals game. That's the reason (laughs) why this sport is so huge. Because we recognize, we recognize... That there's a level of randomness associated with this, but then simultaneously we see things like Super Bowl or bust. Well, you can't have both of that. You can't have that. Sorry. So for me, Super Bowl or bust is something I've been fighting against for the Buffalo Bills community for a really long time because I don't believe in Super Bowl or bust, but I think a lot of people are thinking the same thing. Can you get past the Chiefs? For a long time, the boogeyman for the Buffalo Bills was the AFC East leading New England Patriots. They were the boogeyman. They were the thing that stopped us from being able to make the playoffs. The fact of the matter is, it wasn't the Patriots who stopped us. It was the fact that the team wasn't any good. But don't tell anyone that. But the fact of the matter is, it wasn't the Patriots. But now we got a new boogeyman. We got a new boogeyman. And it's the Kansas City Chiefs. The Bills lost to him twice last year. A huge part of the narrative coming into this year was, did the Bills do enough to pass the Chiefs? And they look at the offense like we already talked about and go, well, we didn't really change the offense that much. Did we do enough to beat the Chiefs? A lot of people thought the Bills going pass rushers back to back in round one, round two was a direct response to the fact that the Chiefs got blown up by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defensive line in the Super Bowl. They thought, well, that they saw what happened there, and let's just go ahead and, you know, let's go ahead and do what they did. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that you build your entire team to face a non-divisional opponent that you might face in the playoffs. The Chiefs could get bounced by the Steelers in the playoffs. The Chiefs could get bounced by the Browns in the playoffs. We could never even see them at all. So for me, expectations are, be a better team than last year you could be a better team than last year and not win the super bowl
1: and i'm okay with that you know
0: i'm gonna i'm gonna absolutely agree with you okay go ahead kevin go ahead no i was just
1: gonna say i agree too i think i think the the one caveat is to to what helps you guys pass the boogeyman the chiefs i think if you guys get them at home i think you get them then
0: i'll take it especially in the playoffs yeah yeah (laughs) Get him in Buffalo in the playoffs and see how they in, like that. In, in, in January. Or or we could just somehow convince Travis Kelsey to stop playing football. That would be a great thing. I I, I still wait for that day. Maybe he what, shaved what, his what, beard I, and now
2: he's mortal again. I mean, maybe it's like a there Samson we go. thing.
0: It's like Yarm or Yager when he shaved his mullet. Absolutely. Anyways, <laughs> I'm going to Pittsburgh there. Anyways, um, I want to throw it out. Like, the Pittsburgh Steelers, I, I get that. Don't build your team to beat one opponent because the Steelers, you could really see it over a period of years where we just could not do anything against New England. We rebuilt that team, especially the defense, to beat New England. We rebuilt it to beat New England. We go 13-3 and three in 2017. Obviously, we lost Ryan Shazier. It was bad. But that defense was built to beat the Patriots. And then we got absolutely stomped by the Jacksonville Jaguars, because they just ran it on us. And we weren't built to handle that. We were built to handle Tom Brady dumping the ball underneath all day. And all of a sudden that we're facing a team that just smash you right in the face and run up the middle. And we had no way to stop it. Uh, So I absolutely agree with you. Do not, you don't want a team building simply looking at one opponent because there's a bunch of other teams out there. All right. Couple more questions here. We're we're heading towards the end of the show. Um, I got to ask about this. Obviously, we have we have two of the Edmonds brothers. You have the third one, and Tremaine Edmonds. How good is Tremaine Edmonds, and uh, where do you expect him to kind of play out this season? Is he gonna be like? Do you think he's already or he's going to be a top tier NFL inside linebacker, or is he just another really really good player?
2: How good is Tremaine Edmonds? Uh, I feel like you've been phone tapping me this entire offseason. <laughs> How good is Tremaine Edmonds is a significant narrative in the Buffalo Bills yeah. community. Because on paper, you look at Tremaine Edmonds and go, that guy's a freak. He's an absolute freakity freak. Like the freakiest of the freakity freak. And he came into the league at 19, which is, of course, is an incredibly overblown storyline. He's headed into his fourth yeah. year, and he's 23. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. He's still reaching his physical peak. I think that one of the things that really hurt Tremaine Edmonds last year, pun intended, was the fact that he was banged up and the fact that his running mate was banged up, Matt Milano. The Bills went through a lot of linebacker injuries last year. And the first half of Tremaine Edmonds' season, he got injured early in week one with a shoulder injury. And if you're a linebacker with a shoulder injury, it changes how you approach contact because you're always trying to protect that shoulder. So you didn't see that level of aggressiveness. You didn't see him running through players the way you wanted to. And so what you saw on film was this big, massive physical freak who wasn't playing like it. And that created frustration for a lot of Buffalo Bills fans who wanted Tremaine Emmons to take the next step. Well, the second half of 2020 was markedly better for Tremaine Emmons than the first half of 2020. So it's almost like the hype train kind of came off the rails a little bit in 2020. And for right now, yeah, it's pretty much back on the rails. We're all like, okay, okay. We thought it was 2020. That's the year that he's going to take off. Pause that. I was in a year too early. Now this is the year he's going to take off because you've seen flashes of that. You see flashes of it in coverage. You see his wingspan create significant problems, basketball level problems for quarterbacks in zone. And you think to yourself, there, there, that's it. That's the reason why you go and get a player like that. Because you understand that if you run a predominantly zoned defense, you have wingspan issues the way that you have in basketball. I've compared that to a basketball team on numerous occasions. Length is a very significant part of the Sean McDermott defense. If you look at the players that they drafted, whether that's corners or whether that's linebackers, they all have have length. So it's a scenario where Tremaine Edmonds has played flashes of greatness. He's made a pro bowler. I think people outside, outside of Buffalo, they have a higher opinion of Tremaine Edmonds than inside Buffalo, which is very unique because outside he gets the recognition. He gets these top five, top 10 lists. He gets Pro Bowls. And then inside Buffalo, they're like, eh, we're going to pick up his fifth year option. Do we really want to extend him? There's a conversation about that because you're looking at the contracts that are being given out to off-ball linebackers. You're looking at the Darius Leonard contract. You're looking at the Fred Warner contract. You're going, do I want to give that money to Tremaine Edmonds? Because he's not Fred Warner. He's not Darius Leonard. So that's the conversation that's happening. I would say he's not a top 10 linebacker in the NFL right now. Could he end up being at the end of this year? Maybe. We'll see. He could always reach his physical peak. When you take a player at 19 who's freakish tools, who played all over the place at Virginia Tech, and you say, okay, you're going to be a middle linebacker in a zone-based 4-3 defense, There were people who thought when Tremaine Edwards was coming out, he was going to be an edge rusher. Literally, that was a conversation in the draft community. They were like, this guy's going to be a freak edge rusher. No one knew what to do with the dude. So he comes into the league. You slap him at middle linebacker. He's 19 years old. He's still growing in his body. He's still figuring it out. You give him a little bit more of a leash, I think, than you do someone who's a sure thing, than someone who comes in a completed product. So I'm willing to give it another year, see where
0: he's at. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, our last three questions. I'm going to ask this to both you guys. Uh, we'll start with you, Bruce. A little softball question here for you. <clears throat> How good is it to know that meaningful football games are less than a week away?
2: <laughs> for me, it means I don't have to manufacture my own content as much. Yeah. Let's let's level it with. Let's all we're we're all friends here. We all know. Yeah. The fact of the matter is that the off season, especially the lull between. Training camp and mini camp that spring to summer kind of low. It's weird because you have to manufacture content, but you don't want to manufacture storylines. You don't want to be irresponsible. You don't want to say things like, Well, I'm just saying stuff to say stuff at this point. You want to make sure that you're filling the void with good content, but football is not filling it for you. Now, moving forward, I just finished recording um, a copy of my podcast that's going to drop tomorrow for Buffalo Rumblings. And I specifically said, This is the last time for a long time, that I don't have a game to talk about. So you don't have to worry about me trying to conjure up content. It's coming automatically. So I'm excited about that.
0: Kevin.
1: Oh, man. You know, I, I'd, I'd have, to, have to agree with Bruce. My, my guys and me on our show, we, 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 we talk about the game with sports. So we kind of have content. You know, something's always going on. But it's great to have football back. And it's great to have football back just as a fan. I mean, we're 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 less than 24 hours from kickoff. We're probably about 22 hours and 45 minutes if I'm just quick math looking at my watch. And we, we got the Cowboys Buccaneers. So I enjoyed uh, this past college football Saturday, first kickoff Saturday, college football. Watched football all weekend long. Some great games. So I'm just glad to be heading into that end of summer fall direction and getting not just my Steelers back, but football. NFL, college football, all, all over the board.
0: Yeah, for myself, I, I do a lot of film rooms. There's people who know me from our site. Man, there, there's nothing worse than film rooms over the summer where you're digging into old games trying to find anything you haven't covered before or preseason football where you're trying to explain what's going on in preseason football, which is the worst to do a film. I hate preseason football film rooms because half the players are barely even trying. Uh I'm great. I love, I love it. I can't wait for football. I can't wait to be doing film rooms on new stuff. I can't wait to be yelling at my television while I'm watching <laughs> games. I can't wait to be yelling at the film. Oh, love it. Second question. We're going to start with you, Kevin, on this one. What's your prediction? I need a score prediction for the Steelers-Bills game. Unless unless you have that's a thing you do somewhere else, you oh, can't no, do it now. No, no. I, All I, right.
1: I, can, I can certainly do it now. I, I, I chimed in last night on the Scobro show and gave my – so I'm going to stick with the same score I gave in. I would said Steelers 26, Bills 23. Um, it's good. It, obviously, it'll be an upset. The Bills are favored by six and a half. I think I think the offensive line will perform well enough, and Najee Harris will I think the offense will try and control the ball and keep Josh Allen and Stefan digging that offense off the field. And you know, we we win a 20 we win a field goal game,
0: 26-23. All right, Bruce.
2: Bills. I'll stick with the roughly the line right now on this. Um, I think that the key to the game is going to be Bills' new-look defensive line versus Steelers' new-look offensive line. I think we have a tendency to overreact a little bit to week one, and I have every single confidence that we will overreact to this regardless of what happens. But a lot of new faces on both sides of that line, and I think that's going to be the key to this game. We'll see where it goes.
0: I'm going with a shootout in week one. I'm going 38-35 to with the Buffalo Bills beating the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, I just have a feeling that these offenses are both going to be crazy good offenses. I think the Bills at home and with the Steelers having a lot of new faces together, I think the Bills pull it out. But I think this is a game the Steelers put notice to the rest of the NFL – that this offense that the Steelers have, have come up with in this past off season really is, is going to be something to worry about. Uh, so I'm going 38, 35 bills, pretty much out of time. So real quick, uh, Bruce, let everyone know where they can find your work and plug anything you want to plug.
2: Well, I appreciate you having me. I don't think that a lot of your audience is going to really love my show by any means, but (laughs) you can, if you want, you can follow along with me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. My podcast is the Bruce Exclusive. It drops every Thursday on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. And I also do a live show on YouTube, much like this, on Friday evenings um, with my uh, co-host Nate Geary from the WGR local radio show in Buffalo, New York. So we're very excited about this year. Um, by all means, come on over. I follow a lot of beat writers from the Steelers and everybody else. So I follow them. They're welcome to follow me back. Come on over. We'll have a good
1: time. All right, Kevin. Oh, uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks again for having me, Jeffrey. I, mean, I, I Like I said, I really appreciate and enjoy being on with you guys, talking Steelers football. But you can check us out, the Know It All podcast on YouTube, uh, the Facebook group, we go live on there, too. I know it all, Facebook group and on Twitch. And I can be followed on Twitter at Take Boy Fresh. So, hey, thanks.
0: All right. And for me, uh, I think most of my film rooms have come out. So uh, I, I don't really – I think, well uh, – no, they came out. Never mind. Uh, so th- I don't have anything to really plug this week. Uh, I, all I have to say is i want going to give a shout-out to Michael back again. Uh, get well soon, Michael. He he, he's under the weather, uh, and and so we want him to get well, get back, be doing his shows. Uh, For everyone here at uh, Know Your Enemy, and for everyone behind the steel curtain, good night, and let's go Steelers.